morning. If you would, join, with, uh, join me in turning in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. So all the way in the front, Genesis chapter 32. My goal this morning is to uh, deal with the entire chapter as well as a few verses in chapter 33, so we will work quickly to get through it. And the, um, the purpose of the study is to unpack for us uh, what it looks like to obtain God's blessing. Uh, last week, we looked at what it meant to maintain God's blessing, and we talked about how Satan will often connect us, to, as we know, we learned from Balaam and Balak in the uh, book of Numbers that God will often connect a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, somebody who has been blessed by God. Uh, Satan will connect them to evil things, and then it will seem as if they've lost the blessing of God, and their, and their life here on this earth will um, seemingly be absent of God's blessing, their marriage, their uh, many different areas of their life will just seem to kind of fall apart. And in, what has happened is, is God has not stopped blessing them, but Satan has connected something to them that seemingly has taken away God's blessing. And the reason is, is because what Satan has attached to them is in and of itself cursed. And so they're, they're, therefore they, um, by association, they uh, partake in that curse. This week, I was just thinking as I was preparing for this week, I think, well, it's important to know not just how do we maintain God's blessing in our lives, but how do we obtain God's blessing? How do we enter into God's blessing? How do we receive God's blessing? How do we obtain his favor? And that's what I want to deal with this morning from this passage of Scripture, how to maintain God's favor, or how to obtain God's favor in your life or how to enter into his favor. And we're going to look at uh, the story of Jacob from Genesis 25, really Genesis 32, but I want, to, I want to give some background as well in regards to the life of Jacob. Um, if you know the, the story of Jacob, he was Isaac's son and he was uh, known in many ways by most people as being a kind of a conniving person. Somebody who was always trying to get something to happen, but, but not often or not ever going about it the right way. Uh, Jacob wanted a lot of things, and he was willing to do whatever it took to get those things, and, and therefore it led to great um, heartache for Jacob, not just for Jacob, but also for his family. So he gives us a great example of what it looks like to... Um, desire God's blessing in your life, but not know how to obtain it, not know how to enter into it. And so we're going to look at Jacob's life, and we're going to look at several things about his life that will help us understand what it looks like to enter into God's blessing. And when we think about God's blessing, we're just talking about his favor. Uh, we talked last week about kind of his hand being on someone and he's guiding and directing, he's protecting, he's providing for um, kind of everything that, that happens in an individual's life is recognized as being from God. And then there are times in a, in a Christian's life where it's like God has lifted his hands and there's no protection and there's no provision and there's no favor. 
And so we want to understand, first of all, how do we, we looked at last week how to maintain that favor, but we want to understand how to enter into that favor. And what we, we would call that salvation, and we would call that becoming a, a part of God's family. How do we become a part of God's family? And to understand that, we have to understand a few things. We have to understand um, a few things about Jacob and his, his story to help us understand how he entered into the favor of God. Because it wasn't as if Jacob didn't desire the favor of God. It was as he didn't know how to obtain the favor of God or didn't know how to enter into it. And so if you're here this morning and you've walked through life and you've, you've strived to get into that favor, you've strived to get into that position where you know that uh, you have God's kind hand upon your life, and yet you seem to continuously fall deeper and deeper into struggles and difficulties, and your life seems to fall apart more than it's kept together. Anybody out there can confirm that. Uh, you, you will be able to, uh, I think, associate with Jacob's life. And you'll be able to recognize kind of what he went through, and it's helpful to understand what he went through to understand how we can then uh, truly enter into God's favor in such a way that we are um, not just striving for it, but we have become possessors of it. And then once you possess that favor, there's never any losing it. There are times that we um, perhaps don't live in light of it, but there's never a time when we can lose it. With that in mind, I want to start in uh, Genesis 25. So if you want to hold a finger in 32 or just go back to Genesis 25 and we'll, we'll work our way through... The first thought, if you, got it, if you have an outline, is prior to obtaining God's blessing. We want to look at a few things about Jacob's life that he did prior to receiving this blessing. Or maybe another way of saying that would be in pursuit, Jacob's uh, pursuing of that blessing. Again, remember this, Jacob wanted the blessing of God so bad that he was willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And so Jacob was known... Um, from a very early age as being a, a manipulator or a deceiver. In other words, he was willing to go about whatever, manipulate whoever it was, put everybody else at risk to get into this, to enter into this favor of God. In Genesis chapter number 25, we see this manipulation start, and we see it start from Jacob's birth. It's so interesting as Jacob comes out of his mother's womb, he immediately grab, grabs onto his brother's heel, right? You guys know the story because there's the law of the firstborn, and the law of the firstborn is, is the one who was born first gets the what? The one who was born, born first gets the blessing. So from birth, Jacob is grabbing onto his brother's heel to make sure that he gets the, or at least he confuses the who is supposed to be the firstborn or who is supposed to get the blessing. So the first thought on your outline, if you're taking notes, is that it starts at birth. There's really not a more powerful passage of Scripture to deal with the fact that, there, that sin, that original sin, that the sin nature comes into a, a child, a baby, before, before Jacob is even born from his mother's womb, he's already doing things that are deceptive. And we don't, we don't understand or comprehend that. That is a reality for Jacob's life that he had already determined to, to, to 
be a part of that blessing or to steal that blessing from his brother Jacob. He says in the passage here in Genesis 25, verses 25 and 26, it says, after his brother came out with his... uh, Let's go back to verse 25. The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which, which means red. So there was something about Esau that was uh, the reason why they named him that. And that's why it says that they called his name. It's interesting because he's going to use a completely different term or different phrase to describe Jacob being named. And this, this term or phrase in the Hebrew is used only a few times and it's used only in the book of Genesis. And it's always the expression not of something about their look, but it was about something that they would do or something about their character or something about who they would become. So here's what he says. He says, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's hill, so his name was called. There's that unique phrase in the Hebrew that is implying something about his character. His name was called Jacob. And Jacob in the Hebrew just simply meant deceiver, manipulator. Jacob would be marked from birth as a manipulator. Somebody who was trying to get into the favor of God, receive the favor of God, enter into his blessing in some way other than God's purposes and God's plans. So from birth, Jacob grabs his brother's heel. He then, uh, uh, in his thoughts and his process is manipulating the order that God had ordered, which was Esau would be the firstborn and Jacob would be the secondborn. It's interesting because God has already said that the secondborn would rule over the firstborn. But what Jacob, Jacob is trying to undermine or usurp the order of what God has established. And he's doing that from birth. We see in Psalm 51 and verse 5, the Bible says, Behold, David is speaking here, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. As difficult it is to accept, and you, we have some beautiful young babies here in the church. I have a grandbaby that's here, and it's, it's, it's the most amazing and most marvelous thing to hold that baby, to, to laugh with that baby, to watch them grow and mature in, uh, as a young uh, baby, to watch them start to want to crawl, and then maybe they will start walking and then start making sounds and noises, and then they'll start talking. And it's amazing to watch that process that they go through. And sometimes it's difficult to realize that they're sinners, that they're sinners from birth in the same way that Jacob comes out with the manipulative plan that we can't comprehend or understand, that every child that's born into this world on the basis of their, of their nature that they receive from Adam is a sinner, and that includes all of us. Every one of us that, that uh, every one of us is born into this world a sinner. We're born into this world desiring things that are not meant for us to have. We're born into this world with a with a passion to get those things. Right? You go back there in that nursery and take a toy from one of those kids and give it to another kid, and you watch how much they desire what they can't have. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that, aren't they? And as they grow older, they're a little bit more uh, 
willing to do whatever it takes. And you really see that unfolding, that, that uh, passion to have things. And Jacob is a good example of somebody that from, from birth is, is trying to manipulate God's blessing so that he receives God's blessing and not his brother Esau. So we see that this, this, uh, this, this lack of blessing or this uh, deceptiveness, this sinfulness starts from birth. Not only does it start from birth, but the number two underneath that is he steals his brother's identity. He steals his brother's identity. It's so interesting as I was reading through this and studying the, the, uh, the story here in the book of Genesis. Jacob, Jacob steals, he, first of all, he grabs his heel, which says, you're not the firstborn, but, but I am, right? Then he steals his brother's birthright, which says, you're not the firstborn, but I'm the firstborn, right? And then he steals his brother's blessing from his father. He ultimately ends up having all of the things that are rightfully whose? His brother's. So Jacob is not living in his own identity. He's living in somebody else's identity. He's living with somebody else's blessing. He's living. Jacob hates who Jacob is. Jacob doesn't want to be who Jacob is. Jacob doesn't want to be the second born. Jacob doesn't want to be the not blessed. Jacob doesn't want to be the one that doesn't get the birthright. Jacob wants to be somebody else than who he really is. And may I submit to you that that is a powerful movement amongst our people today in our world today. They don't want to be who they are. They hate who they are. And so they're constantly trying to change who they are to, re to receive some blessing to get some kind of favor or attention or whatever it might be, and they are never going to attain to it because it doesn't happen by us rejecting who we are. Folks, that's why we have people wanting to change their sex. They don't want to be a boy. They want to be a girl now. They hate being a boy. It's not even just like, you know, I'm kind of tired of being a boy. I want to be a... They hate who they are. They hate, in the same way that Jacob was striving to be, be somebody else, he wanted to be Esau. He wanted to be in Esau's, under Esau's birthright and in Esau's birth position and have Esau's blessing. Matter of fact, when Jacob's father, Isaac, asked him when he comes into him to bring, to steal away his, to steal away his blessing, his father asked him who he is. What is Jacob's answer? I am, I am Esau. I am Esau. Jacob had taken upon himself somebody else's identity because he hated his own identity. He didn't want to be who he was, and so therefore he pursued something that, that somebody else had. He sought to steal what somebody else has. And we call this covetousness in our day and age where we're not content and we're not satisfied with, where, with, what, with what God has given us and we want what other people have. And may I submit to you that it's very natural for an unsaved person, for an unbeliever to hate who they are. It's very natural for an unbelieving person to want to be somebody else. And the devil gives us, gives us so many ways in which we can accomplish that. But he steals his brother's identity. It starts from his birth. He steals his brother's identity. The third thing under this is he sets others 
out to take responsibility. Jacob never wants to take responsibility for himself. Matter of fact, it's so interesting that when Jacob, when Jacob gets ready to go into his father to steal his blessing, he tells his mother, he might think I'm being deceptive. And his mother says, don't worry about it, Jacob. He, she says, I'll take care of it. I'll take responsibility. If Isaac finds out what's happening, I'll take responsibility for it. The very next phrase is, Jacob immediately goes out and gets ready and prepares the meal. Once somebody else is willing to take responsibility for somebody who hates who they are and is trying to, trying to interject, once somebody else is willing to take responsibility, then, then that person is, is willing to let them and will do whatever it takes. He also puts God up uh, for responsibility when he says that God is the one that brought me this food to his father. He's not afraid to even put God on the line when it comes to um, escaping who he really is. It's interesting in chapter 32, which is where our main text is, watch what happens just a few verses here in verse number three. And Jacob, sent, and Jacob just, just notice a few words here. The Bible says, and Jacob sent, sent messengers before him. Verse number 16, the Bible says, then he handed over to his servants every drove by himself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me. Verse number 18, then you shall say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are present, they are present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind me. Verse 20, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought that I may appease him with the present that, I, that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of me, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. What do you see consistently? What's Jacob constantly doing? He's pushing other people out in front. He wants other people to be responsible. He wants other people to be accountable. When you come to my brother Esau, who is, who is my enemy, who I've stole everything from, I've taken everything that he rightly deserves. When you come to him, if he destroys you, then I'll be in the background back here watching you take responsibility for my actions. Jacob would not put himself out in front. He would not make himself responsible. He was always willing to let other people be responsible for his failures and for his sins. Why? Because he hated who he was. Refused to accept responsibility for who he was. Wanted to blame who he was on other people and then wanted to steal who he wanted to be. Then, number four under before receiving God's blessing. And we can see this all throughout Jacob's life. Jacob manipulates or structures a manipulative plan. And we can see this throughout the story here. Um, I'll, I'll just read to you because this really kind of closes out this portion. Verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 1 Jacob went on his way, and the angel of the Lord met him. And when Jacob saw that them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim, which means two camps. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Moab, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, 
and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants, and I have sent to you to sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in his sight. I want you to notice something about Jacob here. Jacob has Esau's blessing. He has Esau's birthright. He has Esau's heel, right? I guess. Do you know what he doesn't have? He doesn't have Esau's favor. He doesn't have Esau's favor. So I want you to think about this. At the end of this story, Jacob says this. Esau, we'll, we'll get there, but Esau, Esau receives Jacob and, bless, and, and responds to Jacob in such a way that he, he receives him and forgives him and accepts him, right? And here's what Jacob says. Jacob says that I saw you as the Lord. In other words, he is, Jacob is making this correlation between mankind and God through this story. Jacob is saying to Esau here, he is saying that, um, let me go back to my text here. I draw, I draw a little blank. Jacob is saying to him that you can have everything that God offers. You can have all of the blessings of God, all of the blessings and birthrights and have his, have his identity and not have his favor. And there's something that has to happen before you get God's favor. But what people do and what we do, what we, what we often do in our, in our Christian lives is we try to manipulate, or not in our Christian lives, but people who are unsaved, who are trying to get that favor, they try to manipulate God's favor in their life. They try to manipulate God's favor in their life. And so what, is, what, is, what does Jacob do? He starts to plan. He says, I have oxen. What he's telling, he's telling Esau is, I don't need anything that you have. I already have enough of my own. The Bible says in verse number six, and the messenger returned to Jacob saying, we came to, you, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left, then the next camp will escape. Okay, so he's planning. He's devising a plan to make sure. Who's in the back of this story again? Who's behind all of these camps? Jacob. So if they come to the first camp and they wipe those people out, then guess what Jacob can do? He can run. He can escape because by the time he gets to the second camp, Jacob has disappeared. You know what Jacob is doing? Jacob is manipulating Jacob is doing the very thing that he was born doing. He was, he's doing the very thing that he is born doing. And he is in denial of it. He is completely in denial of it. Again, when, his mom, when he says to his mom that my, my father, if I go into my father and I deceive him, he might think I'm a deceiver. And his mother says, don't worry about that, I'll take care of it. You know what Jacob is worried about? He's worried about protecting his testimony or his reputation from the very thing that he is. He doesn't want anybody to believe that he is exactly who he is. From birth, they named him. You will be called deceiver. You will be called manipulator. Jacob goes through his life trying to convince people that he's not exactly who he is. Isn't that us? 
We go through life trying to convince people that we're not who we are. We walk out of the womb trying to get people to believe that we're not sinners. But we are sinners. From birth, we're sinners. But yet we go through life fighting and wrestling and trying to manipulate and deceive the other people that were not sinners, thinking that somehow we're going to deceive God that we're not sinners, and then ultimately we'll be under his favor. Is that, is that how it works? It's not how it works, is it? God is not deceived. The Bible says that everything in God's eyes is open and naked, and you will have to give an account to him. God is not going to be deceived by your manipulation, by the masks that you wear to cover up who you really are. He knows what your name is. He knows what your name is. You may, not, you may think that you're just John, but you, you have a different name. And it's directly connected to your character. And God already knows what it is. And Jacob goes through life. I mean, just think about it. He tells his mom, my dad might think I'm a deceiver. His mom should have said, that's what we named you. <laughs> but he, he doesn't get it. He goes through life trying to hide who he really is. And so here he is striving to get God's blessing, doing everything he can to manipulate God to think he's a good guy. So then God will show him favor when he's not a good guy. And his life is a mess and it's falling apart and he can't figure it out because he thinks he's a, he's a good guy. He thinks he's a good guy. I'm a good person. I don't have any problems. Jacob, what's your name? I am Esau. That's self-deceit, isn't it? You think about it. James says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own self. There's probably, maybe not even probably, there's likely a point where Jacob began to believe that he was Esau. And there's a lot of people that believe that they're Christians. They've convinced themselves that they're good. The end of that path, folks, is not good. It's not good. So he manipulates, he structures them, let's keep going. And Jacob said, oh God, so now Jacob enters into this prayer. He says, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of, of your steadfast love, which is your mercy. In the Hebrew, it's your hesed. It's the most loving kindness that exists. I am not, I am not, just, just think of Jacob. Lord, I am not worthy of your most profound love and grace. He goes on to say, and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant for with, with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I am become, and I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. What, what does Jacob do in this moment? We almost, we look at this text and we see this spiritual moment, right? He's praying. 
Do you know what Jacob is doing? First of all, Jacob has manipulated the situation. He's manipulated the circumstances, right? Now he's, he's feeling like he's got things in order. So now he's going to do what? He's going to drag God into the manipulation. Jacob, in this prayer, is manipulating God. Jacob is manipulating God. You say, Pastor John, that just seems so extreme. That is exactly what he's doing. Why? Because that's what he was born doing. That was what he was from birth. It doesn't change. Listen, it's not about dragging Christianity into your manipulative ways. It's not about about dragging Christ or God into your system or your plans. Oh, I've got this all figured out now. I've got everything lined out. I've got this plan all in place. God, please bless it. I'm unworthy of your your good kindnesses and, and, and you've done so much favorable things to me. He is manipulating God. He doesn't see God for who he is. He hasn't fallen down before the throne of the king saying, what do you desire? What do you want? He doesn't see God as king. He sees himself as king. I would say to you that we are guilty of this. We are guilty of this. We have a desire for things. We want something so bad that we have, we have planned a way to get it, and then we drag God into our system because we want it. And there ain't nothing that's going to stop us from getting it. But we want to include God, too, because we're what? Because we're Esau. Esau includes God in things. So we want to pull God into it because we're good people. And that's what good people do, right? That's what good people do. They pull God into things. Good people don't pull God into things. Good people start with God. He says, he goes on to say, what verse was I on? Anybody want to help me? Yeah, 13. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present from his brother. So immediately he goes back to what? He goes back to manipulating his circumstances. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking cows and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20, um, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, These he handed over to his servant and uh, every drove by itself and said to his servant, pass on ahead of me and put a space between the drove and drove. He instructed the the first when he saw was his brother, my brother meets you and ask you to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these that are ahead of you? You shall say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are the present. And you just notice that how many times Jacob uses the term to speak to Esau, he calls himself what? What did, who's the blessed one? Who has the birthright? Who did, who did Isaac say would serve the other? Do you know what Jacob is doing by calling himself a servant? Manipulating. I'm so humble, Esau. I'm so pious. I'm so unworthy. All he's doing is manipulating. 
over and over and over again. He says, they belong to my servant Jacob. They are the present sent to my Lord Esau. (laughs) My Lord Esau. Oh, how great you are, Jacob. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him and you shall say moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, note this, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me and afterward I shall see his face and he will, what's the word? And he will accept me. You know what Jacob is striving for in this moment? He's striving, listen to me, the picture is simply this. He is striving for God's acceptance. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to get God's acceptance, except for what it takes to get God's acceptance. And Jacob doesn't necessarily really really want God's acceptance. Jacob wants what Jacob wants. He knows that God's acceptance comes with a lot, lot of really cool things, Right? So he wants that. So he wants those things, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get those things. And he says, and maybe by giving all of the, and this is not any small, I mean, think about it. Somebody walked up to your house with all of these animals, right? I mean, this is no small list of animals here. This is like a whole flock. You know why? Because sometimes buying God's favor can cost a lot. And it never ends up working. The Bible says, so the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So Jacob, before he is a believer, we're going to call it that, before Jacob has received the blessings of God, just remember these things. And I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about yourself because I I believe this. There are a lot of people that are in Jacob's shoes that think that they're okay. They think that they've entered into God's favor and they're going through life trying to manipulate, trying to live underneath somebody else's reputation, somebody else's blessing, somebody else's experience with the Holy Spirit, somebody else's salvation or whatever. They've never entered into it for themselves. And where does it start? We learned already it starts from birth. It is then stealing somebody else's identity. It is setting others to take responsibility for our life. And then it is constantly structuring manipulative plans to get our way. Does that work? Does it work out for Jacob? That's why we're reading this story. Because it doesn't work out. Let's go on. Number two. The process of obtaining God's blessing. The Bible says in verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Okay, what's Jacob doing again? Who's he sending out in front of him? Who's he sending out in front of him? His wife and children. What a coward! Honestly, this man sees himself as a good man. He sees himself as a strong man. He sees himself as a mighty man. When he's asked who he is, he says, I am, I am David. I am Esau. I am Paul, the apostle. He sees himself as this mighty, mighty good man, this mighty godly man, but he's not. 
And it goes down so bad that he sends his own wife and children out in front of him with this gift for his brother. He's going to stay in the background and make sure that nothing bad happens. That's a shame, isn't it? I think the Lord has had enough of Jacob, don't you? That's where we're at. The Lord has had enough of Jacob. The Lord's sick of Jacob. The Lord could be sick of some of us. It's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. This is not just a story in the Bible. This is speaking of the character of our God. He's sick of Jacob. A man who has been favored by God, yet to be in this place. Let's go on. Let's read on. And everything that he had went, went, went ahead of him, and Jacob was left alone. And the Bible says, and a man wrestled with Jacob all night, basically, until the breaking of the day. And this is not any man. You study the context of the scripture, most scholars would say that this is a, what's called a Christophany. This is Christ taking on a physical form. He does it several times in the Old Testament. So Jacob is literally wrestling with Christ. He's wrestling with Christ. Listen. We look at that. We look at that phrase right there that he wrestled with the Christ. I'm just paraphrasing. He wrestled with Christ all night. And we look at that as being the worst of all of this, of all of what we've already read. But listen to me. The greatest phrase that you have read so far in this story is that phrase. This is the thing that's going to bring about Jacob's conversion. Is that he wrestled with God all night. You see, before that, Jacob had masked everything. Every time God had tried to put Jacob... Jake, Every time God had tried to show Jacob who he really was, Jacob came up with some kind of a spiritual answer. Jacob had a spiritual reason for the reason why he was, or he, he masked or covered up or deceived or manipulated so that, so that he could feel good about himself. This is the moment where Jacob is no longer going to try to play a game with Christ. He's no longer going to play the religious game. He's no longer going to play the mask game. He's no longer going to act like he's Esau now. Jacob is now going to deal with God face to face. Man to man is what that text means. Jacob is going to face God man to man. This is a great moment in Jacob's life. This is a great moment in Jacob's history. This moment will change Jacob forever. But listen to me. It doesn't happen unless you're willing to face God face to face. When God says you're a deceiver, you're a manipulator, you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're lustful, you're prideful, you're full of yourself. When God says that to you, that you no longer try to mask it or try to blame it on somebody else or try to push somebody else out in front, but you face God face to face. 
you face him man to man. And you're not going to back down at this point. This is it. This is the moment. This is the thing that you've been waiting for your whole life. And it's the worst thing in the, in the, in the manipulator's mind, but it's the greatest thing to happen. Let me give you some things. The process of obtaining God's blessing. Excuse me if you would. Number one, you have to be willing to assert yourself against God. You have to be willing to assert yourself against God. You must be willing to wrestle with him. You must be willing to wrestle with him. He is not telling you what you want to hear. And you can't mask that you don't want to hear it with a, with a kind, pious prayer or a, a, a situational manipulation. You cannot mask the fact that what God is telling you is that you are a sinner. And that because you are a sinner, you are his enemy. It's what the Bible teaches the Bible says that we are hostile toward God. You see, by a lost person being willing to face God head on, face to face, and fight him, all that person is doing is being honest because that's what they've been doing their whole life. The reality of it is Jacob's been wrestling with God for how long? How long has Jacob been wrestling with God? since he grabbed his brother's heel when he was coming out of the womb. That's how long Jacob's been wrestling with God. You see, it's in this moment that Jacob is willing to wrestle with God. The rest of his life, God wrestled with Jacob. You see, sometimes it's hard to accept who we are and be willing to meet God face to face and realize that he is bigger than we are, he is stronger than we are, he is mightier than we are, and he has every right to destroy us and to face him face to face and to receive his grace and his mercy and his deliverance. We must assert ourselves against God when he, when he tells us who we are. We cannot cover it up by outward spiritual things. We cannot cover it up by good deeds. We cannot cover it up by religion. We cannot cover it up by self-righteousness. We must be willing to face God face to face. Isaiah says it this way, that God's attention, God's focus is on those who are of a broken and contrite spirit and those who tremble at his word. Do you know what it means to tremble at your word? It means to face God face to face. In the same, remember this, this comes from, this is a, a theme from last week's sermon in the same way a blessed person can seem cursed because they are attached to sin, a cursed person can seem blessed because they attach themselves to righteousness. In the same way that a, that a saved person can seem cursed because they're attached to unrighteousness, a unbeliever can seem blessed because they've attached themselves to blessed things. But they've never met God face to face. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It is hostile. It is the enemy of God. 
So number one, we have to go to battle. We have to face God face to face and be willing to hear what he says no matter how much we hate it. It's so amazing how people can open God's word as lost as they can possibly be and not have one ounce of conviction. There's something wrong. Let's go on. He says, he took, uh, let's see, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, and the sense here is this, that Jacob and and the Christ are wrestling all night And it seems as if there is no winner, right? It seems like there's no winner here. And it's important to note that in the Hebrew, the idea of it seeming like there's no winner is very, very prominent. Why do you think that is? Because there is a winner. There is a winner. But at this point, it seems like, so they're wrestling and wrestling and wrestling all night. God is wrestling, Jesus is wrestling with Jacob. And it says this, that when it seems like there was no winner, the Bible says that Jesus or the angel or whoever you might, this man, reaches out and touches the hip of Jacob's socket, uh, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So when it seems like there's no winner, what does the Lord do? What does the Lord do? He disables us. He shows us exactly how powerful he is. He shows us exactly how sovereign he is. He shows us exactly how weak we are. He reaches out and he disables Jacob. He humbles him. He breaks him. Wrestles with him all night. You know what I think Jacob and the Lord were wrestling with? A wrestling about? Who are you, Jacob? Can you imagine... You know, I've, I've had debates with people before. Anybody else have any debates with people before? Can you imagine debating the Lord all night over something? You have to be pretty convinced of your situation to debate the Lord all night. And the Lord in his patience, in his loving kindness, in his perseverance, allows Jacob to wrestle with him all night. But then he says to Jacob, we're done wrestling. And he reaches out and he touches Jacob's thigh and it hollows immediately. And God says, we're done. And Jacob says this, let's read on. And then he said, he says he hollows out his thigh Um, Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. This is the angel or the man saying, let me go for the day has broken. So Jacob is hollow thigh but still clinging. He's now clinging in desperation, isn't he? I mean, you can almost picture somebody who is wrestling, you know, and then all of a sudden their thigh is hollowed and they just hold on, right? Because they're going to fall and collapse to the floor. Now Now he's holding on to this man or to Jesus and he won't let go. Man, this is such a picture of the gospel. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. But now Jacob knows something that he didn't know before. Do you know what that is? He knows he's Jacob. And he says this, and he said to him, what is your name? Remember his dad asking him that same question? When his dad asked him what he said, 
I'm Esau. I'm not Jacob. The Lord says, Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob said, I'm Jacob. What a moment. What a moment. Jacob has, Jacob has wrestled with the Lord for his whole life, trying to be something that he's not, trying to, to, to own something that's not his, trying to have something that's not his, pursuing something that somebody else has. And the Lord graciously wrestles with him, hollows his thigh, and says, Jacob, tell me what your name is. And Jacob says, well, I was named from birth a deceiver. I grabbed my brother's heel. I imagine all these pictures come flowing through his mind. I grabbed my brother's heel and I tried to deceive. I stole my brother's birthright. I stole my brother's blessing. I stole my father-in-law's sheep. You study the rest of the story. He does even more than what I've expressed to you this morning. It's even worse. Lord, that's who I am. I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person. Watch this. Then he said, your name is no longer Jacob. Oh, to hear those words. That had to be life-changing for Jacob. Your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. For you have strived with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Telling the name was a sign of submission in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew culture. And there he blessed him, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as it passed, Peniel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. Let me just give you a few thoughts here. Number one, assert yourself. Number two, number two, come to realize that you are God's enemy. Uh, actually, that's not it. Number two, assume your own identity. Number three, accept responsibility for your sinfulness. And then number four, ask God for mercy. In the other words, plead with God for mercy. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen to me. God is looking for people who acknowledge that they are sinful. If we will confess that we are sinful, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness. Many of us come to God with this idea that, God, you will receive me if I am righteous. And we go through life being Jacob, trying to prove that we are righteous when God knows that we are, we're unrighteous. And every one of us is equally unrighteous. All he desires from us is that we admit it. And then, and only then, do we receive his mercy. You see, you must be broken before the Lord will show you his blessing. 
This means that you have to fight with him. You have to be honest. You have to accept responsibility and you have to plead with him for mercy. And then lastly, the product of obtaining God's mercy. Let's just read in chapter number 30, 33. Just think about this. Number one, he's gifted a new identity. He's given a new name. He's gifted a new outlook. So here's what he says. Notice this. He says, Jacob says that in this battle, Jacob was the winner. Would any of us see Jacob as the winner? If you are spiritually minded, you can see Jacob as the winner. Jacob won by losing. Jacob won by losing. Listen to me. This is the whole theme of the New Testament. If you want to be great in God's eyes, become what? Little. Become less. If you want to be exalted, allow yourself to be humiliated. This is the theme of the Bible. And Jacob is an example of it. He gives him a new outlook. He sees his suffering and defeat. He sees his suffering as a blessing. He sees his defeat as a victory. He sees his being overcome as being delivered. Right? Instead of being a stealer of people's blessing, he becomes a giver of people's blessing. He's gifted a new confidence and he's gifted a new hope. Let's read in chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah, her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them. Man, this isn't even a day later that Jacob has experiencing the, the transforming power of the Lord. Yesterday, he's putting everybody that he can find out in front of them. Today, Jacob is in front. Because God changed, God changed him. He was a man now. He was a man. He had faced God face to face and nothing else was going to ever cause him to be afraid again. He puts, that, he puts himself out in front. The Bible says in verse number four, and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servant drew nigh and their, and, and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children. And it just gives us some details. And down in verse number um, 10, Jacob says, he offers Esau these gifts and Esau is rejecting them. Jacob says, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen you, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. And then he says this, please accept my, what's the next word? Please accept my blessing." Jacob had gone through his whole life trying to steal Esau's blessing and God converted Jacob and now Jacob wants to give Esau a blessing. You see, when the Lord breaks us, he breaks us in such a way that he makes us into his servant and we are then, we are then willing and desirous of giving blessings to others. 
In our struggle for God's blessing, it is important to remember that if we try to manipulate, hide, and refuse responsibility, we will always miss what we are pursuing. We may know and get what we strive for, but we will miss what we truly want. However, when we are honest with ourselves and about ourselves and are willing to wrestle with the Lord until we are defeated, notice that, that we're willing to wrestle with the Lord until we are defeated. Then we can receive his blessing. God's blessing is at the expense of our defeat. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. And I'm going to close with this quote. The experiences of men who walked with God in old times agree to teach that the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has fully conquered him. Let me say that again. The experiences of men who walked with God, who walked past tense with God in old times, agree to teach that the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first and fully conquered him. The degree of blessing enjoyed by any man will correspond exactly with the completeness of God's victory over him. This is a badly neglected tenet of the Christian's creed, not understood by many in this self-assured age, but it is nevertheless of living importance to us all. Let's pray together. Lord, um, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this, uh, this man, Jacob, and the example that you gave us of what it looks like to be converted to truly enter into what it means to be a Christian, to become broken, to become empty, to become frail, to become powerless before you. And then in that moment to be transformed, to be altered for eternity's sake, to see life differently, to enjoy a different perspective, to enjoy a different hope, to enjoy a, a different confidence and boldness, to be able and willing to get out in front and fearlessly lead God's people. That is the change, Lord God, that we need. And we need some men and some women to rise up and be that, be those people. It doesn't come by being strong, Lord. It comes by being weak and resting in your strength. You told us in your word that when we are weak, then you are strong. Please help us, dear God, to, to embrace this truth by your grace and for your glory experience the change that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.